Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Starseed Radio Academy, empowering Starseed to better serve the planet. Welcome to Starseed Radio Academy. It's Tuesday, October 4th, 2022, and I'm your host, Ariel Taylor, with my co-host for the evening, Anastasia. Lavendar's on assignment tonight, but she'll be back the next time. If you didn't get a chance to listen to our show from September 6th, be sure to look for it in our on-demand archives here on Blog Talk. You'll hear some exciting information that can really benefit Starseed Missions. So tonight, one of our favorite guests, Craig Campobasso, returns with us uh, with his newest work, The UFO Hotspot Compendium, All the Places to Visit Before You Die or Are Abducted, (laughs) and that will take you um, on your own bucket list trip to 35 of the most remarkable UFO hotspots, places where aliens and cryptids are spotted, forbidden locations, as well as terrifying places only the brave dare to visit. It shares details on the latest facts behind the legendary UFO cases, the when, where, the story, the investigations, and things to do when visiting the site. The book is based on first-hand information gleaned from MUFON's trained investigators and researchers, interviews with people who have had extraordinary UFO experiences, and the author's personal travel to many of the locations. Included are MUFON's top places known for the most UFO sightings, legendary places known for UFO activity, alien kitsch sites, sites that have the added benefit of sacred retreats, and places you might not want to visit but should know about. From the Skinwalker and Bradshaw ranches to Area 51 and Joshua Tree's Giant Rock and the Integratron, The UFO Hotspot Compendium will be a hit with true believers, the mildly curious, and those intrigued by all things off-planet. It guides readers to experience the wonder and terror of an alien abduction, a spaceship crash, or a UFO sighting from the safety of their own home. Find this and other great E.T. books by Craig, like his last one, The E.T. Species Almanac, and the autobiography of an E.T. trilogy. And that website would be um, autobiographyofanet.com forward slash other books, where you can find all of them. He's got so many books, and they're all great. At the top of the show, it's Anastasia's Starseed News, bringing topics of interest and hope to starseeds that you won't hear in the mainstream. And we'd like to thank Jada for hosting the switchboard tonight. For those who may have a, a question or comment, for Craig. And I'm first up going to introduce Anastasia, if I can find her. There you are on the switchboard with her fascinating Starseed News. <laughs> oh, hello, Ariel. Good evening, everybody. It's great to hello. be back. We have Hi. Good to be back. Autumn is coming. The leaves are turning. It seemed like summer went quickly, but here we go. Here we go. Time for the pumpkin pie spice and all those nice smells out of the kitchen. Mm, Puts yeah. one in a soup mood, doesn't it? Yes, indeed. I love yeah. it. Well, NASA <laughs> NASA has some news for us. 
their Webb telescope has captured the clearest image of Neptune's rings in over 30 years. Well, NASA's James Webb Telescope has captured this clear image of the rings around Neptune. The space agency has announced all about this. The photo details the planet and its 14 known moons. Neptune has 14 moons. Now, Neptune typically has appeared blue in images like those taken by the Hubble Space Telescope because of the methane in the atmosphere. But the new photo, the better picture, which is captured with Webb's near-infrared camera, images objects in the near-infrared range and shows that the planet is actually whiter in color. And in July, NASA released the telescope's first images depicting the birth of stars as well as a never-before-seen compact of galaxies. And earlier this month, the telescope captured a cosmic tarantula showing thousands of young stars that had yet to be seen. It has been three decades since we first saw these faint, dusty rings, said a Neptune expert. But he said this is the first time we've ever been able to see them in the infrared. It's fascinating. The ring is so skinny. Nothing like Saturn, but it's interesting. If you get a chance, check that out on the Internet. It wasn't all that many years ago that we didn't know Neptune had rings. And lo and behold, it does with 14 moons. Wow. Well, here's a story out of Ukraine. Uh, I think we're all concerned and compassionate for the many refugees that have had to flee Ukraine and have had to try to find homes elsewhere. Well, last week there was a news story that broke about this incredible international rescue to bring a cat away from Ukraine to a family who had been forced to leave. This happened in the Bay Area of California. And a little girl owned this cat and really wanted it back. So some very good people got together and went and got their cat. How they did this, who could ever know? And they brought the cat to the little girl. You see, the family had left just about everything behind when the war started. But now they're all together in Sonoma County, and they're working on a new start to their lives here in the United States. Well, there were tears and smiles and hugs and celebrations when a 10-year-old girl named Agnesa was finally reunited with her beloved kitty cat, the family had named Arsini. Now, Arsini, by the way, is uh, incidentally, is a common Ukrainian name. Uh, She probably named him after after a saint, a particular Catholic priest, uh, Father Arsini. I'll bet you that's how they gave the cat the name. Ukrainians are quite fond of their religious icons and saints. Anyway, this little kitty is called Arsini. And she lives with her father, her mother, her grandmother, and her sisters in the Bay Area, and they're adjusting to their new lives. In addition, her Ukrainian cat has a brand-new playmate, a kitten that they got, somebody gave to them while she was waiting for her cat to come back from Ukraine. And the family is staying in this large country home among vineyards and olive trees. They live near Cloverdale in Sonoma County. Uh, There's more to this story about the house, but anyway, she said... When our cat is with us, it's like home is with us, too, like part of our home found us. Now, all of this good stuff, the cat coming back, the house to live in, the beautiful surroundings, other adjustments, they're getting all kinds of things, as you're soon to find out. Anyway, all this happened thanks to a man named Peters. Now, he said, when the invasion happened, I felt like we needed to do something to help people. And he put forth efforts to go to Europe to evacuate war refugees, but it didn't work out. Uh, But he did find an app for Ukrainians seeking help uh, on his phone. 
and he connected with this particular family. He said, she got a, uh, let's see, he said, uh, I got an email saying that, that uh, there was a family of six that needed help. And so I went to my son, and I said, instead of renting this house, which he wanted to do, he said, why don't you be willing to, and wouldn't you be willing to donate it to uh, these Ukrainian people for just two years? Well, the son said, yes, he'd help. So when the family uh, immigrated into Sonoma County, that's where they ended up, there was this beautiful empty house waiting for them. And that's not all. The people of the town stepped in. The Cloverdale community stepped up. And everybody pitched in, and they furnished the whole house. Then they donated money and food, and they gave them gas cards and gift cards. And another person found out that the girls were very musical, and so they donated a piano. Uh, Well, Cloverdale gave this family everything they had to give, but Cloverdale got a a lot back. People in the community say, our whole community has learned a few lessons. We've learned about Ukraine and about the situation with the refugees, but we've also learned how to be a community, everybody pulling together for something they believed in, helping people who need it. And the Ukrainian families of today are working on their English. They plan to move forward with their new lives here in the States. The older girls are going to learn to drive and go to school. So Cloverdale is giving the family a great start. It's a wonderful story. There are pictures on the Internet. If you want to donate to this family, there's a GoFundMe page. Type Ukrainian Family Cloverdale, California in the search box, and you can go and um, contribute to the fund to get them started. The father is not able to work because he has to wait for a visa. So they don't have any income right now, so it's a good thing to do if you can do it. Ukrainian Family in Cloverdale, California. GoFundMe. All right. Well, this is the most fast. I love this story. You know, so many things I want, I want to share with you. I mean, I share with you, but I, I can't give you a visual. And I wish you could find this picture. So I hope that maybe later, after the, the news and the program tonight, you'll check this out on the Internet. This is a gorgeous place. It's in the U.K., and it is a, a miniature hotel bedroom sleeping room. Uh, I'll tell you. It's located near a hillside in the dreamy rural Sussex absolutely beautiful in a field full of the fluffy farm animals that we know as sheep <laughs> well it's a sheep farm and in the middle of this sheep pasture with all these really gorgeous sheep they all look like they've won awards there is sitting right there something they call a sleep dome it's a little glass dome like a like an igloo made of glass you can see inside a beautiful bed with a fluffy comforter in there gorgeous top notch top really beautiful uh, anyway, they, they built this sleep dome in the middle of their sheep pasture, and it's offering the chance for somebody to doze off to get to sleep by counting real sheep. Now, this isn't oh a joke, but I'll, I'll tell you the rest of it. Um, it's uh, something that was created by a sleep technology company. They made this. Uh, they discovered, oh, I'll tell you in a minute. <laughs> Apparently, there is something to counting, to counting sheep. Anyway, this sleep dome will host two guests. It features this most luxurious double bed with a complete open view of all the idyllic surroundings from all angles. It's a glass dome. Beautiful little lights inside. It's gorgeous. And then if you go stay there, you'll get a chance to hear more about that in a minute. They give you dinner. You settle in for the night. And then they're going to encourage you to count the numbered sheep as they walk about their paddock. And they tell us that that will put you off to a blissful sleep beneath the stars. And when daylight comes in the morning, 
you're going to get a guided yoga session and a breakfast full of locally sourced food. Now, this is cute. It's called the Schleep Sanctuary. S-H-L-E-E-P. The Schleep Sanctuary. Created <laughs> by Sleep Tech Company. And they've launched a contest. Why am I telling sharing this with you? You all need to get in on this. Launched a contest offering two people the chance to try it when it opens next summer, 2023. This dome was created after a poll of 2,000 adults found that nearly half have struggled to get to sleep during this year. The company's founder said, the power of a good night's sleep can't be underestimated, and it's clear the nation needs it now more than ever. The study showed that more than a fifth of people have struggled getting to sleep due to worries over the cost of living, while even more people have been kept up fretting about their jobs. He said, counting sheep is more than an old wives' tale. It's a tried and tested visualization technique that Brits are relying on to send them to sleep. They're also longing for a serene and peaceful environment to drift off in when they're struggling to relax, which is incredibly important for sleep quality. The study also found many respondents claim their quality of sleep is worse now than ever before, while others are even admitting that they can't remember the last time they had a good night's sleep. So trying to improve these unhappy situations... 14% of adults have employed visualization tactics like counting sheep in an effort to get a good night's sleep. The study also revealed factors which they believe boost their chances of sleeping well, including, no surprise, fresh air and the sounds of nature. When practiced regularly, these kinds of exercises have been proven to lower the heart rate by encouraging slower breathing and activating the parasympathetic nervous system, said a sleep scientist. Imaginative distraction is also an effective cognitive strategy to help you sleep, where you imagine a pleasant and relaxing image in as much detail as you possibly can, like counting fluffy sheep as they jump over a fence. The aim is to use as much cognitive capacity as possible so that worrying thoughts are suppressed. Studies show that this not only shortens the time it takes to fall asleep, but it improves sleep quality. Thus, improves your day the next morning. So here it is. For a chance to win at a stay at this sleep sanctuary with a guest of your choice, you can register. Go to www.emma-sleep, emma-sleep.co.uk slash sleep, S-H-L-E-E-P. Go register, and then you can tell us all about it when you win. And check out the pictures on the net. It's lovely. It really is beautiful. Pretty cute sheep, too. Wonderful. All right. Well, we all love our dogs. You know I often have articles about dogs. I have to share this with you. I love wolves. I bet you guys didn't know that I used to have a wolf dog. I did. I did, indeed. He was a white wolf. Long story behind that, but he was one of the best dogs I ever had. And... He was one of my best friends. All my dogs have been my best friends, but you know, wolves do make good dogs. And they tell us that wolves could be man's best friend, according to a new study, or at least that wolves were man's best friend before we turned them into dogs. Now, scientists from the cold north have proven that wolves can distinguish between strangers and people they know and show much more affection to those people who are familiar to them. What's more, the familiar person can help calm 
these wolves down in stressful situations. Get them calmed down. They trust the person they know. Now, these wolf wolf reactions show that an attachment prior to domestication 15,000 years ago could have led to the dogs that we know and love today. Scientists tested 10 wolves and 12 dogs to see how they behaved in strange and stressful situations. The wolves showed the person that they knew more affection by getting closer to them, snuggling up to them, and spending a longer time in their greeting. A behavioral ecologist has said, quote, it was very clear that the wolves, like the dogs, preferred the familiar person over a stranger. But what was perhaps even more interesting is that while the dogs were not particularly affected by the test situation, the wolves were. Not surprising, actually, since wolves are wild and dogs are domestic. But they tell us that the wolves paced in the text room, showing their stress. They would pace throughout the room. However, when the familiar person that had been with the wolves all their lives came back into the room, they stopped pacing, indicating that the familiar person had acted to calm the wolves and to act as a stress buffer. This finding indicates the idea that dogs' attachment to humans only developed after humans domesticated them. The study was published in the journal Ecology and Evolution. It shows that the connection to humans did not evolve specifically in dogs. A researcher said, I do not believe that this has ever been shown to be the case for wolves before, and this complements the existence of a strong bond between wolves and the people that they know. This team has been raising wolf and dog puppies from the age of 10 days, uh, giving them tests when they're 23 weeks old, and they tell us that this is a study to show us where the behavior in our dogs has come from. So I think about all the people over the years that are afraid of wolves and don't want wolves and want to kill wolves, and oh, boy, it just tears me up. But wolves are beautiful animals and spiritually wonderful. So here is a yet another study to show the sentience of animals that the world tends to think are a nuisance. So there, take that. If you think a wolf is a nuisance, <laughs> marvelous, marvelous animals. Now, check this out. India is deploying super sniffer dogs to protect newly introduced cheetahs from poachers. What? Well, I didn't know this, but I'm going to tell you this because now I know it and I'll share it with you. It's been more than 70 years since cheetahs sprinted across the hot plains of India. And now that they're back, the Indian government is taking no chances on their safety. They have hired specialists to protect the cheetahs. The specialists are six German shepherds that patrol the grounds of the 80,000-acre national park and look for signs of poachers. Asian News International has reported that the dogs are undergoing a seven-month training program at the Tibetan Border Police Force National Training Center for Dogs, where they will hone their tracking skills and their obedience. Now, they were released just a couple, three weeks ago on the 17th of September, two weeks. Five male cheetahs and three females were flown to India from a game reserve uh, in the north of Namibia. Sorry about that. In the first ever international translocation of a cheetah. Now, cheetahs were declared extinct in India in 1952. They were overhunted, and uh, they say that right now the cheetah's great stronghold lies in Africa, thanks to the open flat ground, sparse populations, and rich game numbers. 
Well, the German Shepherd and the teammates, other dogs, are going to be taught to sniff out tiger bones, elephant tusks, and other highly trafficked wildlife parts. You know, I can't believe that's still going on today, but apparently just about as strong as ever. I had hoped that that was done, but no, apparently not. Anyway, dogs have a high rate of wildlife crime detection, said the Inspector General of the Basic Training of the Dogs. He said there are scores of successful stories where dogs have helped the arrest of poachers and the recoveries of wildlife species as well as their remains. 7,000 cheetahs exist across Africa, but the other uh, major species, such as the Asiatic cheetah, which is what we're talking about, is hanging on by a thread. It used to roam from Arabia through the Fertile Crescent all the way to India and Pakistan. It's hoped that they'll recover in India and create a growing, diverse population that will be able to outlive catastrophes like disease, drought, and reduced genetic diversity, which is really being a, a, becoming a problem with many of these animals that are facing extinction, the reduced genetic diversity. All right, from cheetahs to kittens, here's a story for you. I, um, I think I might have shared this with you, but you, might, you all haven't heard it, but, oh, I don't know, a few years ago I was doing something, and I was somebody had brought a six-pack of soda pops or something, and they come with those um, uh, plastic, you know, rings. And you pop the can. You know, you've all seen them. And I happened to toss that in the can, and somebody said to me, don't throw it away like that. You've got to cut those open. Don't get caught. And animals get hurt by them. I said, really? So I started clipping them whenever I throw them out. And you should, too, because here's a story about a stray kitten in Missouri that has inspired a company, an entire company, to completely reconfigure its packaging making it safer for animals and the planet. Um, the founder of the Itty Bitty Kitty City Rescue, Itty Bitty Kitty City Rescue, um, <clears throat> said that somebody called to report a kitten, a stray kitten, and it was tied up in something. It appeared to have a plastic ring snug around its body. The plastic was digging into the skin, and it needed help. So this rescue, this cat rescue, went to get the kitten took him to the vet. He had to go through surgery to get this ring off of him. And it was determined that the cat had become stuck in the packaging of a munchkin product. Well, this animal rescue woman wanted to make the company aware of what happened. So she sent a letter to Munchkin. She shared the hazard that happened to the kitten. But lo and behold, it didn't go into the X-File. It didn't go into the trash can. The chief brand officer and creative director of this company said it was soul-crushing to learn their product hurt the kitten. And even though the company had just rebranded its products and packaging, they went back to the drawing board. Can you believe it? Now they have new packaging that's made from 70% recycled material, fully compostable, and keeping the animals in mind, it's easier to tear. An animal can get out of it and not be crushed by it. And in the meantime, the shelter owner adopted the kitty for their own, guess what they named her? They named the kitten Munchkin. <laughs> what else would they call it? So Aww. isn't that neat? An entire corporation went to the expense of completely refabricating its packaging because they cared about a cat and other animals that their product could hurt. I find that so incredibly inspiring. Oh, yeah. It's nice uh, that people are taking responsibility. Yes. Yes, absolutely. This is a very good sign, everybody. It's a very good sign. And uh, finally, for tonight, I have this last story to share with you. This is amazing. 
virtual re- reality. You know, I'm kind of old-fashioned. I think you all know I kind of have raised my eyebrow with some of this stuff. Sort of suspicious <laughs> about science sometimes. I'm just, I guess I'm just cautiously. But this is, this is quite the story. Virtual reality technology has helped an international team of surgeons separate, separate twins that have fused brains or that did have fused brains. It's miraculous medical news. Virtual reality helps surgeons successfully separate conjoined twin, twins afflicted with something called craniophagus. Craniophagus. Craniophagus describes a condition where twins are born with fused brains. It's an incredibly rare condition, thank goodness, and probably goes without saying, extremely difficult to treat. In some ways, the doctor said, these operations are considered the hardest of our time. To do it in virtual reality was just really man-on-Mars stuff, he said. Incredible. Now, the twins in question are three-year-olds from Brazil. And in the past, surgeons had tried and failed to detach the boys on numerous occasions. Can you imagine what these children have been through? This resulted in a buildup of scar tissue, which made the chances of a successful separation worse. That just sounds so barbaric to me. Well, enter uh, virtual reality technology. So this international team of surgeons used this VR technology to limit the risks to the children, predict outcomes, and circumvent obstacles that past surgeries had left behind. In other words, it sounds like rather before they were kind of experimenting. But through VR technology, they could go through and practice this and find out the best way to do it. They used MRI and CT scans as their blueprints. And then the virtual reality engineers worked with surgeons to create perfect digital modelings of these boys' fused anatomy. With this detailed and rigorous process, the team was able to see into the twins' brains and were able to trial different techniques before attempting any surgery in real life. Now, this article says that this isn't the first time that virtual reality has been used to help separate children with craniophagus. But the doctors explain that what makes this situation so special is that it was the first time surgeons in multiple countries met in a digital operating room to practice this procedure collaborative. The total procedure in real life required the participation of 100 medical personnel and took 27 hours to complete. The surgery was a success, and the twins are recovering beautifully. The success of the operation may be the window of opportunity needed for other medical professionals to apply virtual reality to even more surgical interventions. Wow. Can you believe it? That's Mars, uh, you know, yeah, it, this is this is like way out of outer space stuff. This is so advanced. Man on Mars stuff. Wow. What an amazing world we live in. What amazing Yeah, world well, we yeah, discover. I mean, it's good good to see technology being used for good rather than pure Absolutely. profit. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, that's sort of higher consciousness stuff that we can take this and and really benefit people with it it's it's wonderful it's it's about more than playing games it's about other things that can be done with it and uh I, i'm just i'm pleased with the human beings on the planet that are stepping up star seed are stepping up companies are stepping up um even in some cases leaders around the world are stepping up we have on the edge of great change and it can be wonderful when we all pull together so in that in that vein, I'd like to suggest that we all stay positive, 
uh, we all stay in a space and hold the best vision and think well of each other. And let not a negative word leave our lips. That's a challenge. But let us just be uh, supporting the best kind of image we can and have some faith in our fellow men. From my heart to each one of you, everybody, much love. Hope you have a beautiful couple of weeks. Thank you so much, Ariel. Oh, you're so welcome. Great job again, as always. And um, yeah, I, I actually, while, while you were talking, I went and, and uh, pulled up that, that Schleep dome. Yeah. It's beautiful. I mean, Isn't it, it kind of reminded me of um, um, the, if you know what glamping is. It's yeah. like yeah. You know, glamour camping. Yes. But that, yes. that's, what it, that's what it reminded me of. Beautifully done. It does indeed. It does indeed. Beautifully decorated. It's fabulous, yeah. isn't it? Did yeah, you notice yeah, that there's yeah. numbers on the sheep? They've got them all numbered. Well, uh, yeah, I, I, that one I can't quite figure out. I mean, well, I couldn't either. But as I think about it, I don't think they expect you to go from one to two and up. I think it's the idea that you pay attention to what number is on the sheep, and as you notice it, you know, there's sheep 25 and sheep 47 and whatever. And as you pay attention to the numbers, that get your mind off your thoughts and you get sleepy. The the, the point is focus. Um, and and, well, and the yeah, sequential yeah, it, it, keeping up with you know one thing after another, yeah. Right. Anyway, and I guess repetitive, oh, you know, guess. counting counting repetitively, um, yeah, it, it ties your brain up, so you you can't. That's it. That you can't it. stress out. Exactly. So very cool. Well, I suggest that you apply for that free night, Ariel. <laughs> that would be fun. That would be great. Hey, one of us could win it. I think we should try. That would be terrific. Go to the UK and do that. Spend the night with the sheep, uh, and you know they have beautiful skies out there. No, no street lights would be great. Well, oh, yeah. anyway, <laughs> you all need to take Ariel, Ariel's example and check that out and sign up, and maybe it'll happen. All right, everybody. Okay. Much love to you all. all right. Good night. Good night, Anastasia. Thanks so much. Okay, now let me. I just saw Craig. Our guest pop on. Okay, he's um, he's talking to one of our producers, and um, so we'll get started with that in just a minute. And if you've been following us for a while, uh, you'll know that Craig is kind of a regular here, and uh, I want to I want to talk to him about his day job because it's completely different. I mean, he's a a casting director in Hollywood, Emmy-nominated, and um, has been working in Hollywood for, I think, 30 years. Uh, he worked on Dune and uh, a lot of other memorable uh, Captain America. Uh, no, not Captain America. I'll, I'll have to ask him, the one with Jude Law. So anyway, I think – okay, you're back. Okay, let me get your mic open, Craig. Okay. Well, hey, Craig. Welcome. Thank you. How are you guys? I've been so looking forward to being here with you guys. <laughs> oh, oh, and yeah, and I'm just, I mean, I love your book. And um, unfortunately, Lavendar had something come up that she couldn't join us tonight. But I have, I just, I love this book. I mean, I, I loved your last book. I love them all. Yes. You're so talented. <laughs> you are so talented. Thanks. But I mean, this was like, You've been you've been doing like a book a year for years. 
Pretty much, yes. Seems uh, like it. Book a year, yeah. It's what I do on the. It's my side job. <laughs> well, that's what just before I, w- I was waiting. I was waiting for you to finish um, speaking with Jada, and uh, and I just I, I kind of like tongue in cheek says yeah, <laughs> yeah. His day job is really different. <laughs> um, so, uh, but yeah, yeah. I mean, a, a casting director by day, and. Um, UFO ufology <laughs> author by night, and um, and you know the first time you were with us is when you told us when your when your uh, book uh, Stranger at the Pentagon came out, and that was mind blowing. So, you know, for the listeners, you can go back into our archives and catch up if you haven't heard, you know, all yeah. of the great work that that Craig has done. But yeah, I mean, started with um, Stranger at the Pentagon and Valiant Thor. Yeah. Uh, and the, the and then the short film, the short film, and the short uh, film. I made, I made, yeah, I made the short film. Doctor Frank Strange is the author of the book. I was good friends with him, and so I made the short film just actually as a sort of uh, post to give to uh, um, investors to raise the money to make the feature film, which I'm doing now. So people like to kind of see what, what it could look like and that kind of thing. So that's, that's why I made it. And I think that was one of the first times as well. And I think another time we did uh, my book series, the autobiography of an extraterrestrial saga, which is uh, four books right now. And I'm working on two prequel books right now. Oh, Wow. Wow, do yeah. you ever sleep? <laughs> do you ever sleep? Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm up pretty early. I'm up pretty early. <laughs> yeah. Well, um so. I I I just wanted to to say that, you know, to the listeners, you go back and and listen, Craig has done some momentous work in bringing information um to light and most people don't even know about Valiant Thor. Um, outside of the starseed community, so that's really important that you know that yes. we understand um, and and uh, remember. And I have to tell you, as I was as I was reading your newest book, I couldn't mm-hmm. help but notice that a lot of the uh, when you when you listed a specific day that this happened, a mm-hmm. a preponderance of those dates was in, when the sun is at galactic degree. Oh, no you know, kidding. Wow. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's some that were not, but the ones right. that, I mean, in, you know, those, um, you know, with, with Travis Walton and uh, um, Charlie and Hickman and, and Parker. Uh-huh. Right. You know, those were star dates. And, uh, and even when Valiant Thor showed up here, you know, yeah. Landed his spaceship, you know, practically on the White House lawn, but we moved him in Virginia. But um, that right. was on a star date, so it's something to be aware of. And you know, generally, anything between the fifteenth and the twentieth could be. Sometimes the twentieth is too far. Sometimes the fifteenth is too soon because it's only three days, but it moves back and forth. So when you get that, you know, when you get that information, just keep your eyes open. And you'll start to see the pattern that I did uh, when I was when I was reading those stories. And there, 
fascinating and spellbinding, but I think I'm I'm jumping ahead a little bit too much now. So, um, uh, oh, it's okay, it's okay. It's so it's so exciting to get you know to now have people reading it finally because you know, you've worked came on out, these what, two, things for so long. It just came out like two days ago. Yeah, on the first, it came out on the first. Uh, people who pre-ordered it from me got it early because I I got my uh all my copies that I ordered ahead of time uh delivered to me so I was able to get everybody their copies out uh probably ah. like two two weeks early uh well yeah then, I've had this one for a couple of weeks now yes so yes. yeah and thank so you so much exciting. for sending it <laughs> yeah yeah I, I love the picture on the front it's like a a a, a 1950s Convertible Cadillac, right? Cadillac, they, yeah. With, they did with an ET driving. Put, yeah, well, that's yeah. Snake Girl from the uh, ET Almanac cover. They decided to put the Snake Girl on there for people to sort of recognize it a little bit. And that's, uh, that's where what I've I seen her, her before. <laughs> yeah, that, that looks I, familiar. That's and right. the, yeah, that's on the cover of your last book. So, yes, yeah, there's continuity, yes, definitely continuity. Continuity, and they wanted people to see it and, and because the other book did so well and all of that. But my favorite is, um, and I wish I would have come up with it, um, is, well, we have the title, which is the UFO Hotspot Compendium, but then it's subtitled, All the Places to Visit Before You Die or Are Abducted. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's that made me laugh too. I thought that's I know. yeah, I, yeah, it's so great. It's it it so is great. It, so, um, what what was the inspiration for this? Well, the inspiration was the publisher approached me about doing another book, and they had this idea of a UFO bucket list. And that's what we kind of called the book for a long time. Um, But uh, none of us really liked that title. So uh, what we did is have the head of MUFON send out to all the MUFON state directors to nominate all their favorite UFO hotspots in America and Canada. And so I compiled all of those and decided which one I was going to write the bigger, longer stories to that are really interesting. And then the others are, are a little bit shorter stories. And, uh, and then I had a few hot spots myself that I really wanted to do that really weren't in the main media or really known in the UFO community. And one of those is the Bradshaw Ranch, which we can talk about later. So so what's fun about this book is you get the whole rounded story. You get the investigations about what happened, right? Um, uh-huh. either from the investigators, from uh, the MUFON investigators themselves, or there was an older case from uh, Project Blue Book and things like that. I was able to obtain some Blue Book files. And, uh, and also, 
um, you know, then at the end of each chapter, I tell you all the things that you can do when you're visiting that site. You get all the information, the addresses, websites, phone numbers, uh, hours of certain places and things like that, like Giant Rock or, or the Integratron and that type of thing. And then for people who really, really want to visit, like Valiant, where Valiant Source flagship is at Lake Mead, I give you the coordinates. If you want to see where George Adamski met Orthon, you get the coordinates. Uh, if you want to see where Travis Walton was abducted in the forest, I give you the coordinates. If you want to see where Lonnie Zamora witnessed two small alien ETs outside their ship, you also get the coordinates as well. And then at the end of the book, um, I list a whole bunch of fun stuff for the UFO tourists to do, like uh, UFO and alien specialty stores online and in person, tours, right, that you can do, night vision binocular tours in Sedona, uh, to go UFO hunting uh, at East Eddy Ranch in Washington State, to uh, tours that go to Area 51. Um, and you can, I even found a guy that has the coolest UFO. Uh, it's small, but it's big enough for parties, and it lights up and moves around and that kind of thing. And then also... <laughs> Uh, you know, just really cool things like that. And then um, and then at the uh, very end, I list all of the UFO conventions and festivals where to report UFOs, uh, abduction and experiencer support groups, and where to actually find the most current UFO info reports and photographs. So it's a very uh, well-rounded book and... Uh, I really like it because it has all of these. I've already had one guy shoot me a video holding the book, and, and he said, I vow to go to every single one of these places, and I'm going to document it and post it online and send it to you. And I was oh, like, wow. oh, wow, this is so awesome, so awesome. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, and I, I, I mean, the fact that you did um, – Giant Rock um, and George Van Tassel, that was like the very yeah. first one. Um, yeah. That, I mean, that story, because of Lavendar's involvement um, with George Van Tassel and the things that happened to her on Giant Rock, which actually um, last week we, we recapped her entire experience there. So that was kind of a good Ooh. setup um, for, for the book. Uh, and there was even a picture of the room under giant rock, which I had never seen yeah. before. You know, yeah. I mean, I understand it. It's, it's no longer yeah. there, but that's, right. that's where, you know, Lavendar was given her, her life assignments. Um, and yeah. it's a very, very um, pivotal point in, it, in, it in, really in geography was. and history. In yeah. history. And it is the birthplace of ufology. Uh, as well, because that is where once uh, once Van Tassel met Salgonda, by the way, I, you know, George never said what Salgonda looked like 
in any of the interviews. So I went through everything. And in one interview, he would say he had short blonde hair. In another interview, he would say he and the other guys on the ship were all five, six. In another interview, he'd say what color suit they were wearing. It was never one whole thing. So <laughs> I compiled I compiled all of that because, you know, I had access to the um, Integratron archives uh, and also to the Historical Society of Giant Rock. I worked with uh, Barbara Harris, who's a big part of that. So I was able to obtain these rare photographs that nobody else has or never been published before. And um, so it, to me, to actually get an artist to do Saul Gonda's portrait because nobody's ever seen what he could possibly look like and put that in the book, I thought was very, very important. And um, because from Saul Gonda came the blueprints to the Integratron. And from my friend Denise Eversall, who is now uh, Athena, she was there in the very beginning with George and uh, Bob Short. And uh, they were there when he began channeling the very first time. And when he first channeled Ashtar, he was the very first person to ever channel Ashtar. And uh, so there were all of, uh, all of these. And so he had to come up with ways to raise money to build the Integratron. And uh, he worked for Howard Hughes. He had worked for uh, Douglas Aircraft and a, another aviation place. I can't remember the name. Um, and so Howard Hughes used to fly out into, his, uh, into the Giant Rock Airport and go visit with George and his wife, and his wife would make burgers and apple or cherry pie, which uh, Howard Hughes loved. And Howard Hughes is said to have donated the first 20000 to build it, but George needed extensively more. So he came up with doing the uh, UFO conventions, which started in the early 50s, where all of the contactees would come. And then through word of mouth over the years, it grew into 10,000 people coming out to the desert, right? Wow. And it was when I've, I have a, like an old VHS that Bob Short gave me, a videotape that he took, and the amount of people that are there is mind-altering because there was nothing like this anywhere. People had a thirst for it like they still do today. There was no internet. There were no cell phones. It just was word of mouth and snail mail. And that's how it all began. And so he would take that money and put it towards building the Integratron. And the Integratron is built with no nails. Uh, they uh, showed him how to build it because he said that uh, Salgonda had said that when you put screws and nails and things like that into a building, it actually um, stops the telepathic flow of which the building would need. 
to uh, fully be operational. So, uh, so they have these UFO conventions there every year. Lots of all the contactees went there. I learned a lot more about it when uh, Dr. Frank and I were invited, I believe in 2005 or 2007, I'm not sure which, um, to go to the Integratron. And this was my first, first time going. I was so excited because I had heard of it for so long. And while Dr. Uh, Frank and I are talking to the um, sisters in the second story of the dome where they do the sound bath, um, I find out that Dr. Frank, all, in those early days, emceed all of those conventions. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's just, it's extremely fascinating, and you see all of that, and I, I know you don't want to repeat uh, Lavender's story, but I want to. I'm going to call Lavender. I want to hear about all of that uh, with with her being there because I think a lot of those early people all received what they were to do when they were there as well. Oh yeah, there were there were so many incidents that yes, you know, in in when you look, that happened, and then that happened, and then that happened, and then you know, people. Um, when when Lavendar was there, just as this was building, a guy shows up from Australia and said, I was awakened in the middle of the night and told that I needed to be here at this time in this place. And he had just written a book that um, uh, Doris, uh, George's wife at that time, she just had it. It was sitting right there on her table. She'd only had it for a couple of days. And the guy shows up um, and he was told, and then another guy awakened in the middle of the night and told that he had to come to this meeting. So, yeah, I mean, it just goes on and on, the, 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 the synchronicities, the, the orchestration. Um, yeah, so I was really, I was really um, pleased to see that, that um, Giant Rock was the first chapter. Uh, but I have to yeah. tell you, when I, when I, was, when I was reading, um, you know, the um, – is it Hickman or Hickson? Yes, uh, it's hey. Calvin Parker and um, and Charles Charles, Charles Hickson, I think. Hickson. Yes, yeah. I had never heard that story. You know, it's like you have all the years. Of, no, of all the years I, I have known Lavendar and all the guests we've had in the show, somehow I never heard that story. <laughs> I was like wow. riveted. Just riveted. You write so well that I mean, I, oh, I, 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 I can you. I can see it. I can picture it. I knew. I mean, you really conveyed the the essence and you know and how it affected them. And then you know, of course, the subsequent regressions. Yeah, uh, Bud Hopkins yeah. regressions, and I was able to obtain permission to reprint those regressions because Bud Hopkins was the man for mm -hmm. alien abductions of that sort. So to sort of have a window into that regression in this story, I thought was very important. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. That was, yeah. That was, but the way you wrote it, it was, it was fresh. It was very, very descriptive. So that's like, you know, the way they were feeling, what happened to them, uh, just spellbinding, you know, and then, yeah, and then it's, it's, 
Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to go on and, and talk about Travis, but um, uh, we can finish yeah, this. We'll talk about him. We'll talk about him in a minute. Um, I just want to mention that Bob Short, who was there with George in the beginning, Bob Short also heard in his mind, "You need to go find the man out at the Big Rock, and it's in the Yucca Valley." He drove there, not even knowing where he was going, not knowing what he was doing, and he kept asking about this big rock. That's what he kept hearing and instead of giant rock. He found George and said that, and that's how he ended up becoming a whole part of that. And we actually took Bob out there probably about maybe seven years ago and he hadn't channeled in a very long time. He channeled uh, Commander Corton. And we took him out there, and he began channeling right away. And he also, we were taking photographs. And, of course, what did we get? We got a disc above Giant Rock while we <laughs> were channeling. <laughs> well, so, of course. It, it was fascinating, and uh, but the Pascagoula incident was quite frightening because they were these very odd-looking robots that came off a ship, to, uh, came and got um, uh, Calvin and Charles, who were fishing off a pier. Uh, Charles was older. Uh, Calvin had just started working at the shipyard across the street, and they decided to go fishing after work. Because uh, Charles didn't want to go home to his wife, who uh, uh, was always berating him and and children. He just wanted to go have some beers and fish with his buddy. And <laughs> uh, and then um, they saw these lights come in, and and then all of a sudden these robots came out, and they grabbed them. Uh, they uh, paralyzed them. They brought them on board the ship, put them in different rooms. And here's the thing that is just amazing about that story is that Calvin talks about how evil this female alien was. He said she was an ugly, ugly creature. That's all we could ever get out of him. It's not in his books. I talked to Calvin. I talked to his publisher. And it traumatized him so much that he can still not speak of the evils that she did to him in that room and in subsequent um, abductions, uh, as you'll see from the Bud Hopkins regression. But, uh, but that she was evil personified. And that is just interesting because we don't really hear about the evil, evil ones. We, we hear about the grays and we hear about this and that, but we have never heard anything like this, um, that he won't even speak about what she looks like because I think he believes that if he did, it might manifest itself again. Right. Right? Yeah. Right. So yeah, we so. can move on to Travis because we had so there was so we had so much new information on the Travis case, 
And uh, I worked with our MUFON investigator, Jennifer Stein, who does all of Travis's stuff. So she is up to date on everything there. And, um, you know, there's still things in that little town of Heber, the actual phone booths where Travis went after he was dropped back off uh, after being on the ship for over five days where he made those phone calls because they did tear that gas station down. But because those phone booths were um, so iconic, they moved them into the back uh, alleyway where the restaurant is. I think it's called Cafe Roma. So people can still go and take pictures and do things um, there as well. And uh, so there's lots of things to do there even uh, and to see in the Travis Walton uh, case. Yeah, I so saw that, that picture uh, on the phone itself, the, the handset, it says 1-800-ET-PHONE-HOME. <laughs> yeah. ET-PHONE-HOME, yeah, somebody wrote yeah. that on there. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, cool. um, before, we, before we, you know, go further into, into the, the Travis story, um, I just wanted to say to our listeners that these are extreme examples um, because the vast majority of the ET presence here is benevolent, um, but yeah. we do have some we do have some stinkers. Um, <laughs> that, we definitely uh, we definitely have some stinkers for sure. So, but fortunately, yeah. they are they are in in the super minority. And um, they and are people that. Yeah. Do you think that? Um, how, I mean, do you have a theory on how they decide um, who their their targets are? Well, I don't. For being know. in the wrong place I, at the wrong I, time. I I think that that's part of it because. In the um, Allagash abductions, which are listed in the book, is one of my favorite interesting uh, ones where four guys were fishing um, in uh, Maine in the Allagash. And they just were so happy to go in the middle of nowhere because two guys had to fly on a little plane to get in there. And then they had to take little canoes out to islands to camp. And so you're really roughing it. You're in the middle of nowhere. And uh, so uh, these four friends, two were twin brothers and the other two were their friends and they went and so they had seen this giant orb glowing over the pine trees across uh, the lake and they didn't know what it was. And then the following night when they're out uh, fishing, they see it again. And it's pitch black out there, by the way. So you can't even see anything on the lake unless it was a full moon. And one of the guys says, well, let me flash my flashlight at it and see what happens. And he does, and immediately it shoots a beam to find them, and all of a sudden it's right over them. And this beam pulls them up into the ship. And then the only thing that they remember was being back in their boat and they were heading back to camp. Now, when they left camp, 
they made a roaring fire where the flames were shooting up really high. So that was their marker to find their way back to camp. And when they got back to camp, it was very low burning. So they had had several hours of missing time. They didn't really think anything of it. And uh, all they did was just remember the thing. And then years later, the twin brothers, uh, uh, separate from themselves, started having remembrances of being on board this craft. And uh, anyway, and then they finally started talking about it with each other. And, um, and they realized they were having the, uh, the same nightmares that were going on inside their head. Oh, wow. And so they did, they did regressions. And what it was is there were these ant-like creatures who had abducted them. They were all naked. One was on a table. The rest were sitting against the wall, naked, just frozen in time. And they were just terrified. Uh, they were doing uh, just examinations on them as well. And um, they, they didn't harm them in any way. They never came back to any of my knowledge. Uh, I don't think any of the guys have talked about that. And so uh, it, it became this strange thing because nobody had ever seen ant-like creatures before. And they described uh, exactly what they look like. But what was interesting and made me start to think is because they seem to be benevolent or neutral, is did they have a way of talking to their higher selves about being examined or was it a predestined thing, right? Or was it just, oh, my God, the guy flashed his flashlight and boom, sorry, kids, you're, you know, you're going to be examined, <laughs> right? And, um, but one of them, and I'm not sure about the other one, started having, um, started developing higher skilled abilities. And it made me wonder that I, because I've heard this in other cases where some people have been abducted and it was more examination kind of thing, um, that they soon also started having higher skilled abilities, whether it was they became healers or uh, they became super psychic or they started to become extremely more spiritual and delve into the cosmos and that kind of thing. And they became teachers, uh, you know, to teach others around them or on a mass scale. So, it's interesting. We, we're, I don't think we're ever going to know that in any of these individual cases, but because I've heard so many and I've talked to other researchers and, uh, of course, to um, Barbara Lamb, uh, who does regressions, to Yvonne Smith, who does regressions and things of that nature, to hear 
what's coming actually out of the abductee's mouth, right? Right. So, yeah, it's interesting. Well, there is a distinction between abductee and contactee. Yes. So you want to talk about about that? I'm so glad that you said that. I, I put abductees in the category of they're abducted against their will, and genetic materials are usually taken. It could be over and over again. They could be implanted. Um, they could, uh, you know, sometimes it's a one-off, but not usually. Uh, but they're abducted many times over uh, their life. Um, and then a contactee or an experiencer are invited on board craft or are invited into another realm to converse with beings that are not from here, right? So mm-hmm. that's how I separate them in the category because uh, I was doing a radio show and one guy called in and he said, you know, I've been abducted. And I said, well, tell me what, what happened. And he said, well, I was on the ship, and I was this, and I was that. And I said, okay, you're, you're not, you weren't abducted. You're, you're more of an experiencer. You're more of a contactee. So look at it in the positive light because you were there to learn because they bring you up to help you uh, to learn more, and they give you a little download, a little upgrade, and once you once – you, learn and process that upgrade, you'll get another download and another upgrade just by being in their presence and that kind of thing. So um, so if you look at things in that way, then um, I think a lot of these people will progress a lot quicker in their spiritual makeup because really what we're all here doing is we're trying to raise consciousness so we can get on out of the third dimension and get into right. the fourth and get into the fifth and get everybody to start working their heart and mind as one instead of the mind and the ego ruling uh, and service to self. And so when our heart and mind merge, we are all working as as one and that um, and to remember that when working to merge your heart and mind, the real thing is mastering your emotions. So you have to take a look at why you're behaving a certain way or why do you always feel that you're right? You have to now look at it as an objective person standing outside yourself. I will tell you one thing that they have up there, which is really cool, is they have a thing called the imager. So they're processing and going through something. They can call this thing called the imager, and it creates a perfect likeness of themselves, and they can throw their consciousness and their their sort of soul thinking process into it. And they can have a conversation with their own self on how to process what they're going through. Wow. It is so cool. 
It is so cool. All of that is in my uh, uh, autobiography of an extraterrestrial saga books. All of that cool things about the world up there and what they're doing in, in conjunction with raising Earth and consciousness raising programs and star seeds and uh, all of that. So, yeah, it's it's really yeah. neat. Yeah, well, we are, we I think that's it, that's a we? good it's a good point <laughs> that I mean there is a difference between abduction and contact, and um, yeah. with the the bottom line being you know your permission. Um, however, there are so many star seeds on the planet who yes. you know can trace themselves. I mean, can trace their DNA could be traced if we had the ability to do that to um, a specific, you know, to the Pleiadians, to the Syrians. And a lot of people, um, even though they may be asleep, you know, it's like your family's coming, they're going to check up on you. They're going to see how you're progressing. And, you know, so it's like, you know, you got to come over to our house so we can do that. Um, And that's right. You know, if people, if people have, you know, they may not even have memory of it because they got, you know, just like Men in Black, they got the little flashy thing, and you, you don't yeah. remember. Like none of that just happened. But on on some level, you know, the seeds are planted. The seeds so, are planted, and yeah. when when it's your time to wake, some people will have a really huge awakening. I've had two giant ones in my lifetime. I didn't know you could have a second or a third. But I had another huge one, I think around 2014. And uh, my first big one was when I was 26. And that's what sort of catapulted me into all of this and, and um, you know, learning about the cosmos and spirituality and merging your heart with your mind and all of that. And, uh, you know... I have seen, like, I I have a friend um, who I've known now for many, many years, and we talk from time to time. And uh, years and years ago, he he kept saying, you know, well, where am I from? And I said, well, I know where you're from, but it's really for you to find out where you're from, right? So I said, let it just happen organically and let uh, let yourself find it. And then, I don't know, a couple months later, we were talking on the phone, and, and, I, and I said, did you ever figure out where, where your soul roots are from? And he said, no, no, I haven't. And I said, well, what have you been doing tonight? And he goes, well, interestingly enough, I've just spent three hours researching the Pleiades online. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, that's where you're from. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And then well, it like, it finally hit him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, duh. <laughs> Why that one and not another one? But, um, that's right. you know, that's I mean, right. I, I, I tell people, you know, when I'm doing sessions and they ask similar questions, um, but you would think, you know, so above, so below, on the Pleiadian mothership, there's at least 33 different species, and a lot of them are humanoid. Yes. 
and they develop relationships. Right. So you could have, you know, a Pleiadian mother and a Syrian father, just like here. You know, you could have an right. Italian father and a German mother or whatever combination. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's not quite as, you know, cut and dried, you know, like, like oh, yeah, you know, I'm a, I'm a, 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 a Cowboys fan, and that's the only team. You know, it's like, well, right. you know, <laughs> what if they traded those players to other teams? Um, but the the point yeah. is that um, I think when you get into that level of of consciousness, that really higher fifth dimensional and above consciousness, it's more about what level you're on than where you started off. That's right. There is there is nothing up there. Even in this dimension with all of the fully conscious and creative beings, there is nothing about color at all. There are every color imaginable skin tones up there. There are pattern skin. There is anything you can think of. And to uh, they kind of laugh a little bit because they're like, wow, you guys can't even get it together with the few colors you have on your planet. What's going to happen when you find out about the rest of the universe <laughs> and all these colors and, and color combinations? If a blue person married a, a, a green person and then their children come out, like what, kind, what color are they going to be? Is it going to be a mixture? Is it going to be a light skin? Is it going to be this? Is it going to be that? You know, so they look at everything. They they actually gave me one a beautiful thing. They say, like the floral bouquet, we are all the arrangement of God. Oh, meaning that's beautiful. All colors, yeah. Meaning all colors. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I remember um, one of one of Lavendar's stories, and I'm sure this is in the first couple of years we were on the air the very first ET that she saw in, you know, in the third dimension standing in her room. It was eight feet tall with blue skin and three rows of teeth. And that, yeah. I mean, it was shocking. And it, it took her a while to, you know, to stop being afraid. And he turned out to be one of her most beloved allies. Um, his yeah. name was Pre. So, you know, and that's, I mean, that's what they say. <laughs> like, you can't, you know, you're all the same species, but you can't get past skin color. So what are you going right. to do, you know, when a when a when a, uh, an insectoid or or uh, you know <laughs> someone who looks really really different, you know, you'll try to kill them. That'd be your, you know. So we're not we're not quite ready for for right. disclosure, you know. And that That's and right. it's not about them holding out. They're waiting for us, and we're dragging our feet. It's like we've got they to evolve are. to the point. You know, we have to evolve to that point. So let's get, get back to um, back to some of your your um, hot spots. So um, yes. you know, we talked about Giant Rock and the the Pascagoula, and um, was it the, the oh, let's talk about the Bradshaw, Bradshaw ranch. ranch. Oh man! So I have heard about this ranch. Uh, there's a lady I met in Dr. Frank's group who lives in Sedona, and she has told me over all these years, I used to work at the Bradshaw Ranch in its heyday, 
and she would tell me about this female albino Sasquatch that used to visit the property. She would tell me about all of these paranormal things that happened. Now, the Bradshaw Ranch is, is named because Bob Bradshaw, who was a cowboy, bought the ranch way back when. He bought 140-some acres. And on the ranch, they used to, they used to give, in the early days, uh, him and his young son would give people tours of the property and, and uh, uh, teach them about Sedona and things like that. Then it progressed into him creating rodeo shows, cookouts, uh, dancing, music, um, things of that nature. Now, my friend who worked there said one of the first nights they had bleachers out when they were doing a rodeo show and um, that a flying saucer went right over the rodeo show, literally. And she said, I was sitting there, and I saw it with my own eyes, right? Uh So she told me a bunch of stories, and then I I kept hearing about it, and then once I, I went out and I stayed with her, and she said, well, let me take you out there because it's in the middle of nowhere. So you, you really, you have to have a four-wheel drive. You can't get there in a car. So we could only drive so far, and then we had to hike in the rest of the way. And I'm a sensitive, and I am not kidding you. I never had the heebie-jeebies in my life like I did that day. I felt like there was so much paranormal activity going on around me. I felt that there were things looking at me from other dimensions. Um, we got, we got to the ranch. You can look at it. At that time, it was government-owned, so there were no trespassing signs. So we didn't actually go on the ranch, but you could walk around it, and it's it just got a couple little things of barbed wire going through wood to keep people out, right? And anyway, the government uh, sold it, and uh, now it's owned by, I think, the land... Uh, land people there in Sedona. So, um, and it's dilapidated now, but I went there again a second time and, um, and went with a guide. And then, uh, I'm friends with uh, one of the UFO researchers there for many, many years in Sedona, Tom Dongo. I don't know if you ever had him on your show, but, um, Oh, man, you should. He's amazing. And so, Tom, when Bob remarried uh, his wife, Linda, Linda had a 20-some-year-old son, and so they're living at the ranch. And one day, Bob is outside the ranch, which they built, and uh, a ship lands right in front of him. Freaked him out. He went back inside and wouldn't come out. And uh, Linda was experiencing all kinds of activity, and so was the son. So she contacted Tom Dongo. Tom Dongo came over, and they literally did research on that ranch for about four years. And so when Tom was there, they would take pictures, and uh, people would appear who weren't there. 
I, I have the picture of the side of a man's face who was not there in the actual book that Tom let me reprint. Fascinating. Yeah, I saw that. And yeah. By, yeah. And by somebody's leg, there was a little minuscule um, ship, like a little ET ship, right? And But then we get into a little bit more dark territory where – uh, the one of the oldest freestanding uh, homesteads is on that property, and it's like a little two-bedroom house, and uh, uh, it's a hop, skip, and a throw to the ranch house, right? So mm-hmm. Linda's son, his girlfriend, and her daughter are sleeping in that house, and uh, they see light. And they hear stuff and they start looking out the window and they see a bunch of grays wandering the front of the ranch property. She was so freaked out. Now, you have to understand, you're in the middle of nowhere. You can't call for help. It is frightening being there. I mean, to be there at night would even be more frightening. So she waits until the coast is clear and they make a run for the big ranch house, lock the doors. He wakes Linda up. She comes out. uh, They tell uh, her they're sitting in the living room and all of a sudden the gray walks right by the front window. And Linda jumped up because Linda had no fear of this stuff. She wanted to know what was going on. She jumped up. And when she opened that front door, it was gone. It had vanished. vanished. Now, another night, they hear the dogs barking like crazy, and she goes outside, and they're surrounding something that's invisible and barking, looking up at it like crazy. And Linda, what they heard was hissing, like really loud hissing. And so that frightened them uh, because they couldn't see it. And they got the dogs in the house, and the next day they went outside, and what they found were reptilian footprints. So that was uh, scary enough. Uh, Another time, I didn't put this in the book, but another time they were hearing some some kind of, uh, like, noise outside, and they looked outside, and one of the trucks was concaving like something was squeezing it and they started taking pictures of it and it had a white and a blue mist all around it. Right. And it dented the truck in. And so Linda said this portal tree that is between the homestead house and the ranch, they call it an alligator tree because it's bark looks like an alligator skin that she knew that these uh, malevolent uh, creatures were coming through that portal and also benevolent ones because she did have a lot of experiences with them and she believed that they were there to protect them. And um, uh, so there was that, but then there came a time where Tom called her and said, look, some of the other ranches, ranches have been calling me because the aliens are stealing the mare's fetuses and her mare was pregnant and she kept finding white hairs on her 
uh, mare's belly, and she didn't know where they were coming from until she realized she was seeing Bigfoot footprints all around the corrals. So she decided to feed whoever it was, and uh, she would put vegetables and fruit on a plate and, and put it up on a post, and in the morning the food would be gone, and it, there would be sticks and some stones where the Bigfoot would gift her back, right? And she, she came to realize um, that this Bigfoot sting her mares from those aliens, and then they realized what she looked like because when they would take pictures or video, they would see into other dimensions sometimes. And one time they saw a big girl who was albino, she's female, and there was a uh, saucer craft above her, right? And hmm. then another time they got a dinosaur walking around. Um, the sun caught other kinds of creatures as well. And um, so there seems to be this veil there because, you know, the, all of Sedona is a vortex. This, and, and Bradshaw Ranch area is unbelievable, uh, the energy that is there. And, it, you know, Tom says that there are military alien bases there, and it makes me wonder if they are gray and reptilian uh, based because of what they experienced being there and was part of this underground installation beneath this ranch. We don't know. The sun was going out and hiking a lot, and uh, he was abducted a few times. So, but he says his experiences were positive so, and had uh, missing time. So that plan, and, and what I have just shared with you is only the tip of the iceberg of what happens at Bradshaw Ranch. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> so are there people still living there? Mm-mm. No, it's all dilapidated. Yeah, that's what you said. Yeah. It was dilapidated, but um, it's like yeah. <laughs> I would have been out of there a lot sooner. Um, oh, yeah, man. You, you don't go there alone during the day or at night. And if you went there at night, I would only go with a large group and stay in that group as well. Now, a friend of mine who lives there uh, recently left up trail cams all on the property for three months to see if he got anything. And he said, he said, I didn't get anything. He said, and do you know, not even one animal showed up on the trail cams because animals are at night, like the javelinas, all of that that are there in Sedona they're running around uh, rampant. So even the animals stay away from Bradshaw Ranch. <laughs> yeah. 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 He said the only thing he saw was this large uh, energy that was all pixelated and it was moving and then it went behind some trees. That was the only thing um, that he saw. 
So, uh, and they have a windmill there that is said to, if you're near it, um, that most people will have missing time being near it. So. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There, wow. there are places on earth that we are not equipped to explain or understand. Right. But, right. you know, so having having you know a list all nice all nicely bound up in a in a in a very well written book i mean that that really helps so that people would know it's like okay maybe we'll go to this other place and stay away from that uh you know Bradshaw ranch area but yeah well, i mean i know that's why i you know I, that's why i say in the book it's like and some of these places you just want to read about from the comfort of your own home <laughs> right Right. Yeah. 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 It's. Uh, I mean, it's good to know, but it's like I don't have to experience it firsthand because other people right. have already done that, and now we can read their story um, from the comfort of our of our couch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so um, we had. Uh, uh, another guest on the show a long time ago, and she made the point that you know e- even if you are in a situation where you're terrified, um, you think that you're being you know confronted with something uh, paranormal or uh, extraterrestrial. She said that all you you just even just mentally, you just say no. I say no. Yes. I right. say no. You know and. Um, just about well every member of the of the galactic federation or the galactarians um they will respect that absolutely absolutely yeah you do say no and you also uh, uh a big thing is just call on the archangels especially michael right or right. You know, if you're a Buddhist, you can call upon Buddha, uh, Muslim, Muhammad, whatever works for you, it all works because they don't want that energy there if they're there to harm you. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, um, yeah, I I keep thinking about, you know, people who are really, really young and just, they're awake, but they they don't have all the you know, all the information and experience that, that you or Lavendar would have. But, yeah, so there's just little, you know, even if you can only do it mentally, you know, if you can't speak, just, you know, I said no. That's right. So, yeah. Um, and I, I know, and so, and you talked about East City Ranch. we got to talk about them. Mm. Oh, yeah. I love that place. Um so I went there several years ago. I have heard about it. All my friends have gone there for so, so long. And uh, so uh, I think the website is eSETI, E-C-E-T-I dot org. You have to go on there. And if you want to go visit the ranch and stay there for a few days, you can stay on the ranch, either renting a room in one of the houses um, or you can rent a yurt, or you can bring in your own camper or what have you and rent space. 
or you can just come in for an evening and sky watch. So you have to go in and make a reservation. And um, I myself like the comforts of home. So, so <laughs> I chose <laughs> I chose to stay at a really cool place, and I do list it in the book called Cozy Cabins. You get these great cabins. Full kitchen, beautiful living room, TV, nice bedrooms, the whole thing. It's it's like renting a small little house. They're great. And it's literally five minutes from the ranch. So watching, you, you arrive uh, at the allotted time at night and uh, you want to bring your own chairs. If you have night vision binoculars, bring your own and the uh, the ranch has one set, and they do let people look at it, but if there's a lot of people, it might be a while till it, it becomes your turn. Um, mm. But if you can't, then just bring regular binoculars and see how that works as well, because you will definitely want to look at all the lights flashing on Mount Adams way off in the distance as well. But when you're there, you will see looking up in the sky. It really is like a galactic airport because they stay at the ranch beneath Mount Adams is a very benevolent extraterrestrial race of Pleiadians and other cultures from across the universe as well. And ships are seen going in and out of the mountain uh, all the time. So it is like a little galactic airport. And when the crafts are way up there, um, where you can't see them with the naked eye, but you can see them with night vision binoculars, you see that it is that, uh, well, number one, an airplane can't get up that high. But you can mentally connect to that craft, and usually the ranch hand will do that, will put a uh, laser up on the ship and direct everyone's attention there, and then they will actually stay to the ship, move to the left, move to the right, and then people will see this happening. And But the fun part is, is when they say power up and the whole craft goes really, really bright and it looks like a giant star shining in the night sky and everyone in the Skywatch area goes uh, crazy and bananas. And they have lots of personal testimony on uh, their website uh, as well of people and what they've seen. They do have a lot of uh, Sasquatches there. Um, I think they have a juvenile one called Delaki. Uh, he's very curious about people, so he doesn't bother people, but sometimes people, if they wake up early in the morning, they may see him off in the distance and that kind of thing. I remember one person who saw it, said that he just sort of stood there and stared at them as curious as we are of them and that kind of thing. And uh, some of the ranch people say because they have a lot of apple trees on the property that they like to come in and eat the apples, which, of course, they share everything with, uh, with everyone. So, uh, so it is a very cool place to uh, visit as well. Did you meet James? Washington State. Uh, I did. I've met James throughout all the years as well. And, you know, the property there is so big. And, you know, he'll do his radio show in his big sort of room there. So 
people can actually go in and sit and watch him do a show or if he's interviewing other people or things of that nature. Um, so, but it's a, you know, it's a big fun place and it's fun because you get to meet people from all over the place and, and hear about their fascination or, or things that have happened to them. Well, sure. And they're like-minded. So yeah, we had, we had James on the show, um, years ago. Uh, we had him on uh, three or four times and then, uh, then he was going to Hawaii to, to, because that was another, another place, another, you know, sky watching place. And I, I, I don't know if he, if he went back to Washington or if he stayed in Hawaii. But at that time. No, he's, in, he's in Washington as far as I know. Okay, good. Um, yeah, he said they, they have like two or 3,000 sightings every summer. So you yeah. know, if you if you really if you really want to see a, you know a, a UFO you want to see a, a spacecraft um, in a very benign setting that's that's the place to go. You know, yeah. And I know they've got they've got all kinds of um, peripheral activities with you know massages and and uh, you know uh, spiritual kind of work and. And yoga, I suppose, and all that you know, peripheral kind of things, activities like you might find at a retreat. Yes, but, they uh, do, and you can you can explore. Uh, everyone can explore all that on their website. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, they have so, seminars and all kinds of things there. Yeah, well, James is a Pleiadian commander like you. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, you probably had. You probably had a, a a great affinity and rapport. Yes, Just a love, lovely yeah. person. Yes, yeah. absolutely. So, so um, yeah. So, is there anything else that you want to talk about in the in the book? Well, I would just say. Um, there, you know, we have 35 places listed, and it gives you a big rounded idea. And I don't think there's anything anywhere that has a compilation of a of all of these things that have happened, and, and what the investigations were, and what the outcomes of those investigations were, uh, either from MUFON or Project Blue Book or from. Uh, outside investigators as well, or real eyewitnesses. And so it's a very, I think, cool and unique book in that respect. And, uh, of course, you know, I love, I love books that sort of come along with pictures. So we made sure that we had lots of visuals for people to see. Like when I was in Sedona and I caught a, a probe, traveling a big metallic orb traveling from uh, Bell Rock towards me driving down towards Bell Rock. It was coming towards me and I grabbed my cell phone and I was able to get it on camera, even though it was moving um, quickly. And also another time on Bell Rock where these gigantic uh, orbs appeared and 
they were pure milk white with designs in them. I think we have one of them on there. They didn't put the one in the book that was bumped up against my body, uh, which was really fascinating. It was like this giant orb and it literally uh, molded to the whole side of my body. And I thought it was interesting. I had given uh, those to many psychics over the years just to see what they would say. Um, And they all said the same thing. That is angel energy. That is angel consciousness. Oh, cool. Yeah. (laughs) Cool. Well, very um, cool. I wanted to um, go back to the beginning of our conversation when you were talking about A Stranger at the Pentagon, the short film, and um, just let everyone know that, um, first of all, you have won several awards for that film, the short film, and it was completely uh, funded by independent crowdsourced starseed people, Yes, and and people. and of course, uh, the reason for that is so that you have complete control over the content yes. and and you know the quality. And yes. if if people would go to um, your one of your websites, uh, strangeratthepentagon.com. That's correct. They can see the short film, and do you still have a link there for uh, donating for the feature film? I do, uh, and then I also have a section. Uh, I have all of the remaining uh, books that Dr. Frank had that are in print, uh, Stranger at the Pentagon, Outwitting Tomorrow with Valiant Thor as advisor, uh, UFO Conspiracy, and Millennium Seven. So I have the remaining boxes of those books. All of that goes towards the making of the film, that's why we have it as a donation. Um, we have all four posters, the original book poster, which is a giant poster. We have the short film poster, the Valiant Thor's um, Victor One and the Blueprints poster, and then a poster of Valiant Thor's Starship uh, as well. And uh, we even have Valiant Thor t-shirts because everyone begged me to do it. So I hired an incredible comic book artist to create it. And um, so we have that, among uh, other things uh, there. And look, if people want to buy all four books, you can click on one button and you get a big discount for doing that. The same with the posters. Or if you want to buy everything, you get a huge discount and just click with uh, one button. And uh, and if people want me to sign the posters or the books, they can just let me know when they order it, and uh, they can email me through uh, that website. And um, so, and, and make sure that you subscribe as well. So when I send out emails with updates of what's going on with Stranger at the Pentagon, that you'll be sure to get those updates uh, by subscribing. So, yeah, I mean, that is such an important work because, you know, and it's kind of ironic 
with you know the 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 government's official stand is that we have no evidence of you know any intelligent life beyond earth i mean i just saw that uh, i was i was i was watching a tv show and it's, and according to you know the the security agency or whatever there is no pr- evidence but yet right. <laughs> valiant thor a created being from venus stayed at the Pentagon for three years and they did all kinds of tests on him and there was no doubt yeah. you know and Dr. Frank was there there was no doubt so and this is a story that needs to be told um, yeah so you know that's why I wanted to uh, get back to the, the original part of our, our conversation about the short <laughs> film and helping you to um, fund the long film I mean the feature film because once again, um, you know, I mean, if a if a if a movie studio picked it up, you'd lose complete control, and it would turn into some kind of a, you know, what, departure from truth. It, it it would, but here's the good thing. So if there's a millionaire angel investor out there, we we really need to make it right. We uh, we need like thirty three million dollars because it's huge in visual effects. And to get the actors that we want and that kind of thing. So when we make it ourselves and then we have the product, then we go to the studios and then they fight and they bid on it. And that's how you make more money. But then they can't change it because they didn't invest in it. Right. They didn't monetarily invest in the film. So they can't. They might say make a, a little of this or a little of that change, but now they can't go in and rearrange it and make Valiant Thor Captain America and make it into some new Marvel comic, right? Right, right. But but then yeah. then you would get the benefit of their distribution. That's correct. That's correct. Yeah. So yeah, and speaking absolutely. of Captain America. Is that the movie with Jude Law? No, that's the movie with uh, Chris Evans. Jude Law was in the one that I did called Sky Captain and the World of Tomorrow. A Sky Captain, because I, I, I know when yeah. I said Captain America, you weren't you weren't here yet, and I knew it wasn't right. <laughs> I said that's not right. It's not <laughs> Captain America, but I knew it was Jude Law, and I knew that you cast the movie. So I right. just yeah. had to. Well, I was to, uh, I was one of the associate casting directors of that movie. There were there were many casting directors on that movie, but it was so much fun to be a part of it. Yeah. yeah. Well, this is just it is always such a pleasure to have you. I mean, you're like family <laughs> to us, and um, we we just fully support everything and anything you do. So. Um, Thank you so much. You I have, always love being here. <laughs> yeah, when, when you have, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure you're working on another, another book concept, um, and when that is ready to go, you know, you got to come here. Well, I'll, I will definitely come on next year because we're, we're we will have the extraterrestrial species almanac documentary ready next year. For oh, release, cool. worldwide release. Yes, we've been working on it diligently, and uh, it's coming along nicely. And 
uh, I'm not sure. We don't have an exact release date because it just depends on when we finish it and then what the distributor uh, wants to do, that kind of thing. But yeah. hopefully uh, by next summer. So we'll see. Oh, well, that'd be great because yeah. I, I know. That, I mean, your 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 ET extraterrestrial species almanac. So many yeah. people. It's like finally. You know, and and because we know who you are and and what kind of training you've had, you know, we can trust you to be telling the truth and that you're not just saying yeah. something to be saying something, you know. Um, right. But yeah, right. I mean, there are so many more species. I mean, everybody's heard of the Pleiadians and Syrians and the Lyrans and the Andromedans and the uh, Arcturians. You know, those are Orions. Everybody's heard of those, but there are so right. many more that yeah. I had no idea. You know, uh, and I'm sure even Lavender had no idea. Yeah, there's even more than what's in there. I mean, so many people contacted me to say what they were in contact with. And, I mean, I remember one lady said, have you ever heard of the peppered Pleiadians? And I said, no. And she said, I'm in contact with them, and they have peppered skin. And I, I was like, wow, see, there's a whole new... Uh, factor that I didn't even know. Wow. Uh, you know, it, yeah, it's well, amazing, you mean, but it's... It, you covered 87, and that's, that's, a real, yeah. that's a real good start, and, and certainly, um, yeah. you know, <laughs> there might be version <laughs> 2 or edition 2 come out later, but um, that is so well done, and I'm glad that you've had a lot of success with it. And I can't wait to see that documentary, so you be sure and let us know. Oh, I will. I know. I, I can't wait to see the next round of the documentary, which will probably, you know, be soon. And because uh, I see it in little blips as we're working on it, and then, you know, and then we refine and refine and refine. So mm-hmm. it's going to be so neat. Yeah, I think everybody's going to really enjoy it. Oh, well, I'm sure they will. And, um, once again, I just wanted to uh, reiterate, to to get a copy of the UFO Hotspot Compendium, you can go to the website, Autobiography of Ann E.T. dot com forward slash other books, and um, you can find the book there. You can go to StrangerAtThePentagon.com, see the short film that we've been talking about, and... Um, are those the two main ones that you would like people to that, remember? That's right, yeah. Um, autobiography of com, And then when you're there, the on the homepage is where uh, the Autobiography of an Extraterrestrial Saga four-book series is. And mm-hmm. people can order, like, they could order, a, like, book one, and go like that, or they're going to order all four books in either hardcover or softcover. And then up in the tab, if you click on other books, that's where you'll find the um, UFO hotspot compendium, ET species almanac, uh, and other uh, side books that I have as well, as well as uh, the Universal Sela protection uh, postcards. Uh, with uh, Michael, Melchizedek, and Metatron, the three divine M's as well. So uh, so people can do there. So if anybody orders through my website there, I definitely sign it to them. 
and personalize it. And if uh, they want me to assign it to somebody else, just email me through the website and say, hey, I just purchased uh, the, uh, the UFO hotspot. Can you sign it to my husband, Jim, or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's great. And and on the stranger at the Pentagon website is the is the link for your GoFundMe to do the feature film. Yes. Okay. Yes. Just want to make and sure I everybody knows you, where to find stuff. Yeah, I think if they click on uh, maybe feature film, it's probably in there somewhere. So. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well. I know you're really, really, you know, a super busy guy. Like I said, I don't, I don't think you must sleep very much. But <laughs> one much. day, one day, the window's going to open, and you're going to come to Arkansas, and and we get to hug in person. Uh, I would love that. That would be so great. I would love that. Nothing more. So yeah. And well, and again, when thank the time you is right. for having yeah. me on. Yes. Oh, it's, it's thank you always for a pleasure. Me on and, and love to you, Lavendar. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. So. Well, thank you so much for your time. I know you just came off of another uh, another uh, meeting, and you must be really tired by now. But thank you so much, Craig, for the work that you do on behalf of Starseeds and on behalf of the truth and on behalf of the Federation of ETs. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so much. Okay. You take care, sweetie. You too. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. We will be back in two weeks from tonight. And thank you so much for listening. Remember to keep gratitude in your heart and show compassion over judgment. Good night, everyone. You've been listening to Starseed Radio Academy. Visit our website at www.starseedhotline.com. 